Good morning. Turn to the person next to you and say, if you were any better looking, they'd have to ask you to leave. Okay, now do it again and mean it this time. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, okay. I'm on fire today, so I'm really, really excited. I'm uh, praying a little bit for a filter. How many of you are praying that I don't have a filter? <laughs> you know you are. <laughs> I am... I'm really excited to be back. I was, I've been putting a lot of miles on. I, I went back to Virginia to, uh, I, I was part of uh, our Foursquare National Church Committee, and we had meetings, and, and we had some significant times with the president of the denomination and the general supervisor, and they are both incredibly humble and godly people who are leading us and they set such a great example and we had a time of reconciliation which was really amazing with the national black pastors the hispanic pastors the native american pastors the the whiteies all of us we um we had this significant spiritual deep deep time and it was really powerful and then i took four flights from Roanoke, Virginia to D.C., D.C. to Denver, and at the Denver airport, I flew into gate B3, and I had to leave from gate B77. Anybody know the Denver airport? <laughs> got my workout that day, got my steps in, and, and then went from Denver to beautiful Bakersfield, California. <laughs> you guys have been there. <laughs> You'd think Bakersfield, California sounds like a really beautiful place. Well, anyway, that is where we had our Central Pacific District Pastors Conference at the New Life Church, and they're doing an excellent job of doing extension campuses. So Kelly and I, and Ira joined us later, but Kelly and I went and, and really just learned and, and just absorbed everything that they had to tell us about what extension campuses are. So, so uh Kelly is super excited, as excited as Kelly gets, and I'm super excited, and I'm trying to tone it down a little bit, but I'm really excited about the, the new season that the Lord has for us, and I'm really looking forward to seeing everything that God wants to do, because he is in the business of people and of relationships, and so, um, you know, we are, uh, we are really blessed to have, as I mentioned, really humble and godly leaders. And my pastor, uh, Daniel Brown, he is a, he's internationally renowned. He speaks all over the world. And he is going to come here and do a seminar on what he calls spirituals. So if you have ever had a question about anything having anything whatsoever to do with the Holy Spirit, tongues, interpretation, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, prophecy, any of those things, Daniel fortunately had a cancellation in his schedule. He's usually booked out a year in advance. He had a cancellation and he's promised to come here the last weekend of October. So, woo, yeah, we are really, really blessed to have him come and speak to us. And he has a lot of insight and a lot of wisdom and he is a man of the word. He loves the word of God. So we have that to look forward to. And as you know, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is the sermon that, that Jesus spoke when he went up on the hill. And we're, we're finishing up today. Um, Iris started last week talking with you about how to get set free from anxiety. Anybody here ever 
have anxiety? Okay, anybody here ever lie? Okay, because the people that didn't raise your hand. Okay, anyway, anxiety is something that's universal. It affects every single one of us. It's, it's not a matter of if you'll be stressed. It's what are you going to do with your stress? And so today, I'm going to talk to you about the cure for anxiety. Jesus offered us a cure. How many of you know that the Word of God has the answers for everything? Absolutely everything. The Bible says he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's given us everything we need. And so today, we're going to be talking about what does Jesus have to say about how to be set free from anxiety. Are you guys excited about that? I'm really excited to bring this message. I really like this message. Also, I want to say, one of the things that the pastors were talking about is, is um, kind of the, the lack of people bringing their Bibles to church. And I just want to really encourage you to, I'm popping like crazy. I want to encourage you to always have a Bible with you. So either have a, have, I mean, you can just load it for free, the U version, which is the one I like to use. You can have it on your phone if you have a smartphone. And there are the old-fashioned kind with the pages that you can turn. <laughs> and those are just as effective because it's the Word of God. But I just want to encourage you, always have a Bible with you. Always, 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 because you never know what opportunities the Lord might bring up for you. And you want to have that. That's the sword of the spirit. That's a powerful thing. It's a powerful tool. So everybody got that? And I want to just say, we, we always put the scriptures up here as a service to you, but it's not to make you not have to bring your Bible like, oh, they're going to put it up there. We, we just do it because we want to serve you. And sometimes it's good if someone's talking about something, to be able to continue to look at it and, and see and, and really let the word of God speak to you. Because I really don't care if you don't get anything out of what I say. I, I really want you to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. That's what I'm most concerned about. So that's my prayer for you guys today is that, that the Holy Spirit would really speak something significant to you. So Lord, we, we do welcome you, God. We invite you to speak. Speak that life-changing word. Have your way with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. So if you have your Bible, um, open it up to Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 25. This is the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is talking. And this would be in red if it was one of the old-fashioned Bibles. Matthew 6, verse 25. I'm giving you time if you want to look it up. I'm using the NLT, the New Living Translation. That's kind of a jam for this year. I, I try to read a different version every year. I just started that a few years back. Okay, so Matthew 6, verse 25. This is, or that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. What he's saying is that, when he's saying that is why, he's talking about you cannot serve God and money. Remember, we talked about that. You cannot have two masters. You will hate the one and love the other. You cannot. And so he says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. 
They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So I want you to imagine you're hanging out with Jesus, and he's, he's talking to you about this. And he says, so, so let's say you're going to Jesus and, and you're just like, Jesus, I'm so stressed. Right? Jesus is your, he's your friend. He's hanging out there with you. I mean, he's fully God, but he's fully man. So you go to him. This is what he would say to you. If God gives such attention to the appearance of the wildflowers most of which are never even seen. Don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, and do his best for you? What I am trying to do here is to get you to relax. Here's Jesus. He's like, hey, chill out. You don't need to stress. I love you. I'm going to take care of you. Take a chill pill. He's just like, I love you so much. I am going to take care of you. He's saying, I want you to relax. Don't be so preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you both know God and how he works. Steep your life in God's reality, God's initiative, and God's provision, and don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get all worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. So let me ask you this. How many of you have worried and worried and worried and worried and worried and worried about something only to have it not come to pass? Anybody? And how many of you have worried and worried and worried and worried, etc., and your worry changed the situation? Anybody? Any testimonies of that? How your worry really helped the situation change? No. And here's the point. It's the thought that counts. It's how we think. Because in Matthew 6, he says, I tell you not to worry whether you have enough food or all of this. It says, it says in verse 27, can all of your worries add even a single moment to your life? The King James Version says, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? A cubit is from about here to about here. It's about 18 inches. And Jesus is saying, how many of you can add anything, essentially? Can add 
height to yourself by worrying. Anybody done that? How many of you have, have prolonged your life by worrying? It's kind of the opposite. I know the Lord has numbered our days, but you can, you can definitely bring a lot of, of angst and a lot of physical ailments if you're worrying. Studies have shown that worry is at the root cause of almost all of the ailments that we suffer with today. It's worry. It's anxiety. And we have to take our thoughts captive. We have to trust the God who is trustworthy. So let me ask you this today. I want you to just close your eyes. I want to ask you this. What do you worry about? Think about this. What are you worrying about? We must control what we think. In Philippians 4, 8, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, you can open your eyes if you're having Okay. Dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me and everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. See, when you, when you think about things, when you have a thought that comes into your mind of anything in the, in the lines of saying, you aren't worthy, God doesn't love you, you aren't as good as other people, God isn't going to provide for you, God doesn't even like you, any of those thoughts come from the evil one any of those thoughts. And so when you have a thought like that that comes in, you have to determine that you're going to change your mind about it. That's what repent means. Just change your mind and say, no, I know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It says it right up there on our wall. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has always been good, and he will always continue to be good. And not good like, you know, when you take one of those, um, like you take a, test or whatever with the little dots and it's like excellent you know whatever good is usually like just kind of here somewhere in the middle it's not that kind of good it's like mind-blowing goodness like so much better than anything we could imagine God is so much nicer than we think His grace is so much more far-reaching than we even think. We just think, we we walk around thinking God's ticked off at us. You know, we think God, oh, I didn't do enough for God, so now he's really disappointed in me. No, he is crazy about you. The things that he calls us to do as believers are for our own benefit. He does these things because he's crazy about us and he wants to give us peace. That's the thing. It's available to us. But the mind is a battlefield. It says in 2 Corinthians 10, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. That's what I'm trying to teach you today.
take your thoughts captive. Thoughts of anxiety, thoughts that God won't provide, thoughts that, that he's mad at you or he doesn't like you. Take those thoughts captive. Don't, don't sit and, and think about it and think, oh, this is really true. Any of those thoughts. And that's why I say, know what it says in the Bible. Because the easiest way you can refute those lies is to know what the truth says. To know the original. And it says, it says in Hebrews... Oh, first of all, I want to just say this. Did you know that faith and worry are complete opposites? If you're worrying, it means that you're not believing. And if you're believing, it means that you're not worrying. They're complete polar opposites. Worry is the antithesis of faith. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe, first of all, obviously, that he exists and that he what? He what? Say it out loud, church. He rewards those who sincerely seek him. He rewards us when we sincerely seek him and when we believe him, despite what our lies say, despite what our thoughts are trying to get us to believe. You know, there's a little short window every summer up in the Albion Basin. Anybody been up there during the wildflower season? Isn't it just outrageous? That's where the first time that I really began to understand like what it means, (gasps) breathtaking. It'll take your breath away. It is so incredibly beautiful. And here, Jesus is saying, why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory... Remember, Solomon was the wealthiest man in the world. It says, in all his glory, he wasn't dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God so wonderfully, or cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, he will certainly care for you. Again, imagine Jesus sitting with you. Why do you have so little faith? He's just saying, why? Why don't you trust me? Why don't you believe what I tell you? See, remember, without faith, without believing that God is who he says he is, it's impossible to please him. Imagine, for those of you who are married, imagine that you tell your spouse that you love them, and they go, no, you don't. You're like, no, I actually do. As rare as that is, I actually do. Or you tell your kids, I love you, and they're like, no, you don't. And this may happen in in your home and how painful that is. But in the same way with the Lord, when he's saying, I'm going to provide for you, and you're saying, no, you're not. I have to do it. It's all on me. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So why do you have such little faith? So the secret is to seek first his kingdom. He's saying, don't worry about these things. What will we eat? What will we drink? It says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. That word actually means, it doesn't mean people that don't believe in God. It means people that don't believe what they profess that they believe. They say that they believe one thing, but they live as though they didn't. Yikes. 
Is that how we are? I know I am sometimes. I say that I believe God. I say that I trust God. But then I live as though I don't trust God with whatever. And and are you like me? You say you believe in God. You believe in God and you want to believe him and you want to trust him. But your kids are walking away from the Lord. and, And you think you need to do something to get them to come back. Or, or you think that your job is going to provide for you somehow. Or you think that all, all of these things that are not rooted in truth, Jesus is saying, you can trust me. I care for you. And when it says to seek, the word seek is zeteo, and it's a Greek word, and it means to seek, search for, desire, require, demand, deliberate, meditate, reason, inquire into, seek after, aim at, strive after, require, once again, that's what seek means. Seek doesn't just kind of mean, you know, going along your way and, oh, there's something. It's not like that. It's like full attention. For example, let me give you an example of you seeking What happens when you lose your cell phone? I know, everybody's tummies just start to go, (laughs) at least for me, it's like, oh, that's my baby. What do you do when you lose your cell phone? Kind of have a meltdown, perhaps. (laughs) Hopefully you don't take it out on your dog. But you seek, you're looking everywhere for it. Or if you have an Apple Watch, you ping it. But what if you don't hear it? Okay, how's an, how about this one? When you can't find your car keys. What do you do? You don't sit there and go, hey, I think I'm going to sit down and watch another episode of Dancing with the Stars. You're like, where are my keys? I've got to find them. How about Black Friday shopping? Talk about seeking people seeking and elbowing each other out of the way and like frantic to get that thing. How about for those of you who are single and you don't have a spouse? Like, oh, maybe he's the one. Oh, maybe. Like your eyes are. Okay. One time when we went to Disneyland with um, our pastors, their four-year-old daughter, Katie, got lost Disneyland was not the happiest place on earth that day. Imagine, imagine, four years old, Disneyland. He had no idea where she was. So do you think that we were like, hey, let's go on Mr. Toad's wild ride and and we'll be back to look for her? Do you think we went on Space Mountain? What do you think we did? We We looked for her. That was our our sole focus. And they say, always check the shoes, you know, because I don't want to give you any ideas. But Disneyland was not happy that day. We were focused. And that's the Greek word for seeking first the kingdom of God. It's that same intensity, that same thing that before my feet hit the floor, I am going to offer myself up to him as a living sacrifice. I am going to say, God, this is the day that you've made. I am going to rejoice. I am offering all of me to you. We sing that song, I Surrender. 
I surrender. We sing that on Sunday morning, but how about Monday morning? What song are you singing? What song are you singing? Do you get out of bed and... Don't... (laughs) Did you know that there are over 31,000 verses in the Bible? And your chances of getting the same scripture twice are one in 31,000. The next scripture that I'm going to share with you, I got three times in the last two days. And this is just the cry of my heart. It's Psalm 27. It says, one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing that I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me when, when, when there, uh, conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. So, I'm so tired of wasting my time doing stuff that's not going to last. I am so motivated to do things that are eternal. And I'm not saying, you know, you can't go to a movie or you can't watch the youths play because I'm maybe justifying, but <laughs> I'm just saying those things that are going to just pass away they will open up the opportunity for the enemy to come in and cause you to stress and cause you to be anxious and cause you to worry. But if you seek the kingdom of God, Zeteo, if you seek with all of your heart, it's saying that you will be in his presence, trusting in him. So is there one thing you seek? Is it to be in his presence? where there is fullness of joy. We seek first the kingdom. So that means in the same way that we were looking for Katie, it was so focused. We were absolutely intent on finding her. We, that was, there wasn't a second. We had no option. That was all we were doing. And that's what Jesus is saying. Seek first the kingdom of God. Back in, in uh, a few years back, uh, I went through a real hard time. I went through a season of just some really, really deep, deep hurt and deep disappointments. And my heart started to kind of get a little hard. I started to get a little callous. You know, I didn't go out and, you know, sin like a VIP sinner or anything like that. But I mean... You know, I just kind of let my heart just kind of close up a little bit. I got kind of self-protective. I'm just trying to keep it real. Okay? Are you guys okay with that? And you know, I, I still was doing church stuff or whatever. But my heart was just kind of divided. And I just have to say, I... That was such a season of just darkness and not just because of what I was going through, but because I wasn't focusing on him. 
and on his goodness and on his presence. I was focusing on me and on my hurt and on my heart. And so we went to this convention. We had our Foursquare convention. And do you guys know Matt Redman, the worship leader? He was leading worship for this convention. And he has a song, and the lyrics are, Never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did you leave us on our own. You are faithful, God. You are faithful. And as I was standing there worshiping, the Holy Spirit said to me, You are shrinking back. And I take no pleasure in those who shrink back. Oh, and I was undone. I knew it. I knew that my focus had just gone askew. I knew that I had allowed my heart to become calloused. And at that moment, I just cried out to God and I said, God, I don't want to be one who shrinks back. Hebrews 10.38 says, my righteous one will live by what? What? My righteous one doesn't mean righteous in your own actions. It just means one who trusts, one who believes. My righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. That's the NIV. You see, the thing is, we were actually created to enjoy our work. We were created to enjoy our lives. Initially in the garden in Genesis 2, it says the Lord God placed man in the garden of Eden to tend it and to watch over it. The King James Version says to dress it up. But where it says with toil, that happened after the fall. Genesis 3, it says the ground is cursed because of you because they ate that fruit. It says all your life you will struggle to scratch scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat. You see, the thing is, we are not called to toil and strive and stress. Because the thing is, what Jesus did for us on the cross is he died for our sins. He came to bring us life and to bring it abundantly, but he also came to break the curse over us. He came, it says in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing better than for a man to enjoy his work. But if your focus is on that and your focus is on that provision, you're going to totally miss out on the joy and the delight that comes in being in his presence. And it says in 1 Timothy 6, 17b, their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. So you see, the thing is, it's not like God wants to withhold from you. That's why he's saying, don't worry about that stuff. You don't need that. It's it's like, no, don't worry about it. I will give it to you. And I'm not a prosperity preacher, so please don't misunderstand that. But let me say this. When things have preeminence, God cannot be glorified. But when God has preeminence, he will give us things. Does that make sense? Preeminence means like, Control, primary, he's it. Let me say that again. When things have preeminence, God cannot be glorified. But when God has preeminence, he will give us things. That's what he said. All these things will be added unto you. Don't worry. I'm going to take care of you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Kingdom. We don't understand the principle of kingdom, right? 
We're a democracy, right? In a democracy, everybody has an opinion and everybody's opinion is valid and we have to validate everybody's opinion and we actually have to affirm everybody's opinion and that's a democracy. But in a monarchy, you can have an opinion, just nobody cares. Because <laughs> in a monarchy, only one opinion counts. Do you, do you guys know what a monarchy is? It's defined an undivided ruler, absolute sovereignty by a single person, family, nation or state having a monarchy as its government. It means one, one is in control. And Ezra Stiles, who was the seventh president of Yale and the founder of Brown University, actually, did you know that most of the Ivy League schools were founded on Christian principles? This guy, Ezra Stiles, he says, quote, a monarchy conducted with infinite wisdom and infinite benevolence is the most perfect of all possible governments. You see, the thing is, the truth of the matter is we are going to be subject to something or someone. Always. It says in Romans 6, sin because of the cross, is no longer your master. Can I get a whoop? Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Yes! Yes! Oh, I love God's grace. I'm so grateful. However... It says, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that just mean that we just go on sinning? No, of course not. You know, we have the reputation around here as being the gracers. That, oh, well, because you're saved by grace, you just think you can go out and just sin and do whatever you want. Is that really true? No. When you're really saved by grace, you don't want to sin. You don't want to break the heart of the Father. You want to honor him. You want to love him. You want to show him that you love him by your life. And it says, don't you realize that you became or you become the slaves of whatever you choose to obey? Whatever you choose to obey, you are a slave to that. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death. And you know, sin always has a, it always has a bit of pleasure attached to it, doesn't it, initially? but it always leads to death, one form or another. It says, you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we've given you. You are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become what? Say it out loud. Aren't you so thankful that you have that opportunity because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross? That you can walk in freedom, you can walk anxiety-free, that you can be peaceful, that you can be trusting, that you can be filled with faith, that God is who he says he is, and not just to the ones who you think are his favorites or his special ones, but to you. If you receive what Jesus offered on the cross, if you receive the sacrifice that he paid for your sins, 
and you've said yes to Jesus, he has promised that you can be delivered and set free from anxiety by seeking him first. It says, we are freed, you are free from your slavery to sin and you become slaves to righteous living. So there are two words in the New Testament that describe us as believers. The diakonos, which means one who executes the commands of another, especially a master, a servant, an attendant, a minister, the servant of a king, or the doulos. And there's, there's kind of a theological debate about which one is the bondservant, because one of these kinds of slaves is you're just a slave, period, you don't have a vote. The other kind is a bondservant, which means that you put yourself under someone's care and you become their bondservant. That's what we are called to be as believers. We put ourselves under the care of our master so that we can do his work and he will meet all of our needs. Because in in the time of the Old Testament, when you were a bondservant, an indentured slave or servant, your master would provide everything for you so that you could serve them, so that you could serve their purposes. And aren't you thankful that our master is the king of all kings and that he has infinite wisdom and infinite benevolence, that he's not only all wise and kind and loving, but he is also gracious. And he would never call us to do anything that would be harmful for us. Did you know that? Do you believe that? I mean, I know sometimes people question it. They question, well, it seems like when God took my child or God took my husband, or God broke up that friendship, or God, you know, we blame God and we say, how could he do that? I thought he was good. He is infinitely wise and infinitely good. And when we're his slaves, we have to trust that whatever he does is for our benefit. As hard as that is to believe sometimes. I'm going to tell you a a little story. Um, You know, right after my husband Eric passed away 18 months ago, I, I remember some people sharing with me that verse that says, he will turn your mourning into dancing. And I just remember thinking, "Mm, I, I can't ever imagine that. I can't really ever imagine dancing again. I mean, I was, I was in such a deep pit of grief that it was hard for me to even fathom that. But right before I left on my trip this one day, I have a million plants, so I was walking around my house watering plants, and I was listening to this song. I'm not going to tell you what song it was because I think Jesus is okay with it, but I was walking around... <laughs> watering the plants, and all of a sudden I was like, and I was like, I'm dancing, I'm dancing, and I was out on my front porch, and I was hoping my neighbors weren't seeing me, because I felt like something broke in the spirit, and it felt like the Lord told me that the season of mourning is over. And that something broke, not just, it's not just about me, but it's about you. And something broke in the spirit world to lift that 
heaviness and, and whatever that we've been going through. And of course, since he was my husband, it's like I felt it. But I really believe that the Lord has a new season for us and that he has such great things that he wants to do. And I was at this fall conference, as I mentioned, and there was this guy there named Rick Bezet. And he is the head of, uh, it's called the ARC, A-R-C, um, which is a, a movement of churches. And in, it, they are all located in Arkansas, or that's where it's, it started. And he has, I, I think he has... Uh, 17 campuses and like 16,000 people or 16 campuses and 17,000, something like that, a lot of people. And he said something that struck me as so profound. And it's something that I used to say all the time. And that is, it's possible for you to just keep coming to this church. It's possible for you to just come to this church and not contribute at all. Not with your time, not with your talents and your gifts, not contribute financially. It's possible for you to come to this church and, and you're going to be okay. And conversely, the church is going to be okay too if you don't, you know, if you're just like a consumer Christian, you just show up and try to, you know, get your needs met or whatever. I just have to tell you, church is not about you. It's about others. You know, people will say, well, I, I, I'm just not getting fed. Listen, we, you can get fed all you want. We have the internet, okay? I'm not saying that I'm you know, going to offer you these incredible messages, but I do believe God wants to do something here with us. I believe that the Lord has something very specific up his sleeve. How many of you know God has a very long sleeve? we're going to refresh this whole building. We're going to do all these things, but it has nothing to do with just building a church. It has to do with the things that God cares about. And what does God care about? He cares about souls. And, and so the thing is that Rick Bizet was saying, you know, you can do all these things. You can just come to church and complain about the music or complain about the sound or complain about the coffee or why don't they have this? And how come they don't have that? And the kids ministry and blah, 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 all these things. You can do that. And you'll still be okay, and the church will be fine, but that's not really true. The thing is, you were created for purpose. You were created to be used for the glory of God, and you are a bondservant of Christ. Your life is no longer your own. You have been bought with a price, and if you are not functioning in the purposes for which you were created, you will never have the peace of God that transcends understanding. You will never have that sense of fulfillment and that sense of not worrying about anything. You were created to be used for the glory of God and not because, you know, God's, he just needs to use you. It's because he wants to fulfill your life. He wants to give you a deeper sense of your purpose and your calling and who he created you to be. And there are areas in this church where you're the only person who's gifted for that area. So yeah, you can come to church, but unless you become fully immersed in what the Lord is doing in your life, 
you will not be fulfilled, so you won't be okay. And if you're not doing what God's called you to be, the church won't be okay either. Does that make sense? And, and, and please don't hear me berating you or getting down on you or being, you know, judgmental. I'm just saying... We have people around us every single day who are going to hell. And 83 suicides take place per minute. Not just in Utah, but Utah has the highest rate of teen suicide of any other state. It's the highest cause of death for 10 to 17-year-olds. We have the highest rate of antidepressant usage. And so let me ask you this. My friend James Ranger asked this question, and I want to ask you. If you had the cure for cancer, and you found out that your neighbor had cancer, would you just pull into your garage and say, well, I hope somebody tells them someday? Or what would you do? You see, there is a cancer that's dragging people to hell. It's called sin. And we have the answer. We have the cure. And so if you don't know what your gifts are, you don't know what your calling is, you don't know what your talents are, just start doing something. Process of elimination is really great. Talk to Tiffany out at the Connect desk before you leave, but don't Let the enemy lie to you and tell you that you don't have a place here or that you don't have a purpose or that God has not created you with any gifts or talents because he has called you to be used for his glory so that you can be fulfilled and so that his kingdom can be expanded. You see, the thing is, he is so nice and it's really about that decision to trust that he's nice and to trust that he's good and to trust that he has created you for purpose. No matter what your gender, your age, your race, none of it. Every single one of us is created as a masterpiece and we are precious to God. So he says, don't worry about stuff. Don't worry about your life. You know, when it's talking about clothes, it's not just saying, it's not just really talking about like going down to the Nordstrom rack and, you know, finding clothes. It's it's talking about everything that we own. Everything that, that is necessary for life. He's saying, don't worry about these things, but seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So Adam's going to sing a song and then I'm going to come back up and we're going to have a time to respond. And there's three groups that I want to discuss this with. Number one, you love the Lord, you, you know the Lord, but he's not your king. He's not your master. And you know that. You haven't fully surrendered. You haven't fully submitted your life to him. You're still clinging to some stuff. The second group of people is, 
you love the Lord and you, you've surrendered to him, but you kind of don't know where you fit in or what you're created to do. And you really want him to speak to you about that. And then the third group of people is those of you, you, you've never come to know him. You've never received the forgiveness that Jesus offers for you on the cross. So Adam's going to sing us the song. And can you just invite the Holy Spirit to be speaking to your heart, showing you what he's doing in you? You know, a couple of years ago, I... Um I took that. You guys ever heard of a radio station called K Love? Yeah. Okay. I don't you know. Never know these days. Um, <clears throat> but they have this K Love challenge where you basically just listen to K Love for 30 days. <clears throat> and uh, as a musician, it's, it, was, it was a challenge, literally. It was a K Love challenge. Um, but. But something that happened to me then when I went through that, was a few years ago that I did that, was I, I noticed that when I was dealing with something, or I was stressing about something, I was just angry at a, someone on the freeway or whatever it was, the song started like pinpointing each thing. I was sitting there just pondering, man, I'm just stressed about bills. And then this specific song just kicks in, and, and I'm just like, wow, like... I know they can't just be like really, really amazing DJs on an international level, but uh, maybe you never know. I, I really, you know, recently I guess there's there's been I've have, I've had some of those uh, anxiety moments or stressful moments where I, uh, you know, my own doubt kind of kicks in, and uh, this was a song that just like the old song, like like when I did the challenge, it just showed up, and I said, you know what, that's that's what I needed right there, just to know that the song is called I Won't Let You Go. It's by Switchfoot. And, um, and it's just, it really is about that, that point of, of you're fighting, you're arguing, you're, you're, you're just like, you're, you're so stressed out, you're so worried about what's going on in your life, and God says, I'm, I haven't gone anywhere, I'm still right here, and I won't let you go. So just realize that I'm still here, and that I've got you. So... When it feels like surgery And it burns like third degree And you wonder Why is it worth When your inside's breaking in and you feel that ache again And you wonder why it's giving birth If you can let the pain of the past go Of your soul None of this is in your control If you could only let your guard down if you could learn to trust me somehow I swear that I won't let you go If you could only let go your doubts If you could just believe in me now I swear that I won't let you go I won't 
let you go. When your fear is currency and you feel that urgency, you want peace, but there's war in your head. Maybe that's where life is born When our facades are torn Pain gives birth to the promise I had If you can let the pain of the past go Your soul None of this is in your control if you could only let your guard down If you could learn to trust me somehow I swear that I won't let you go If you could only let go your doubts If you could just believe in me now I swear that I won't let you go I won't let you go Always be by your side If you can learn, If you can learn to trust me somehow I swear that I won't let you go If you could only let go of your doubts If you could just believe in me now I swear that I won't let you go could only let you guard down if you could learn to trust me somehow I swear that I won't let you go if you could only let go of your doubts if you could just believe in me now I swear that I won't let you go I won't let you go Can you stand up, please? Let's do some business with the Lord. I talked about those three groups of people. You're in the first category. You know. You, you, you know the Lord, but you're still holding on to your own life. You haven't fully surrendered. You haven't become his bondservant. You haven't been able to say, Lord, whatever you'd want. If that's you, can you just, let's close our eyes as a courtesy to others. But if that's you, will you just slip your hand up between you and the Lord? Just say, Lord, I know that I haven't sought first your kingdom. I've sought other things. I've worried. Lord, I haven't put my full trust and my full hope in you. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you for these, Lord, that are honest before you. And God, I pray that you would meet them all, meet every one of them. Lord, that you could show them your goodness to them and how nice you are. Okay, the second group, you're, you love the Lord and you want to be used by him, but you just don't, you don't know where you fit in. You don't know what your gifts are. You don't know what you're called to do. You don't know what your place is. And you want the Lord to begin to show you where you fit in. If that's you, can you just slip your hand up and just say, Lord, I want to know. God, I want to know who you created me to be. Lord, I know your word says that I'm a masterpiece. God, and that you created me for purpose. Lord, you created me to see your kingdom expanded. God, I'm open. I'm willing. Speak to me, Lord. Speak to me, Lord. I want to know what you've created me to do and to be. I surrender fully to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. In the third category, you've never accepted the forgiveness that Jesus offers for you on the cross. You've never been born again. You have never come into that life, spiritual birth. You still know that you're not forgiven of your sins. And if that's you, if you have never said yes to Jesus in any way, can you just slip up your hand as a symbol just between you and the Lord? Okay, church, there's no hands up. That means you're not asking the non-believers. You have the cure for cancer. Are you not going to share it? I'm not saying this to get down on you, but, but you guys, God brought you here for this season. And Jesus is coming back soon. Can you please start bringing your friends? They need the Lord. They need Jesus. Bring your enemies. I don't care. Bring somebody. They need the Lord. And you have the cure. I'm, I'm giving you a little slight rebuke here. But it's because I love you so much. And I love the Lord so much. And he wants to expand his kingdom. And he wants to use us. Amen? 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 I love you guys. Okay, so uh, next week we're going to continue with the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, God is going to do great things. I just believe in the spirit something is broken. And so just today could be that day for you. Today could be the change, the breakthrough that you've been crying out for. So keep asking him. So drive safely. Don't hit anybody in the parking lot on the way out. If you have never come to a pastor's brunch and you're new or you just want to come, please come today. You're all welcome. God bless you. See you next week.